Amen. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas week. Yeah, can you believe Christmas is a week from today? Yeah, okay. It's, it's exciting, right? It's fun. Um, to get us started this morning, I just want to, you know, ask a couple fun questions about Christmas. Just, I want this morning to be fun. We're in a series called Wonder, right? Reimagining, reigniting the wonder of Christmas in our hearts. So how many of you are traveling locally this, this week, this Christmas, the next week? Quite a few of us. How many of you are traveling out of state? Yeah, yeah, my family's not raising their hand. I know they're going out of state. <laughs> I'm gonna call them out. That just shows me that a lot of y'all probably aren't raising your hand. How many of you are um, staying here all Christmas? Oh, wow, look at that. Lots of local families. That's fun, that's fun. How many of you, this is more like a personality test, so prepare yourself. How many of you have all of your presents bought and wrapped and under the tree? Wow, I am so impressed. That is amazing. How many of you have all your gifts purchased but not wrapped yet? Okay, okay, okay. How many of you still have a lot to do? <laughs> yeah, me, that's me. I fall into that category right there. Um, our daughter is almost three and she's like an enigma. Like nothing makes her happy for more than three minutes. So we're like, do we get you anything? Like, what do you want? Tell us what you want. Um, so we're still working on that. But it's an exciting week. Christmas should be really fun for everyone this year. And we have been in this Christmas series, like I said, called Wonder. And when I first heard that that's what we were talking about this year, I got really excited because I love all things magical, which might sound really cheesy, but if you're a kindred spirit, you understand what I'm talking about. And the Christmas season is ripe with magic. There's lights, there's music, there's glitter, there's decorations, there's parties, there's fun with your family. Everywhere you go, there's just something that makes you feel warm and cozy inside, right? And we have, like I said, an almost three-year-old, and this is the first year that we feel like we're really getting to see her experience Christmas. We saw her first and second Christmas, but this year she is so into Christmas. And getting to see her be so excited about it has been incredible for us. She literally sings to our Christmas tree because she loves it so much, like <laughs> sings carols to it because she loves it, yes. And it got me thinking about times when we got to live out our first of something wonderful, our first of something magical. Imagine if you could relive one of those moments, maybe the first time that you saw your spouse, or the first time your child was born, maybe something that you saw while traveling. I can remember waking up my first time ever being out west and seeing the mountains out the window and how incredible that was. Or experiencing your first rain or your first snow, the wonder and magic of the world. I'm sure some of you have a moment in your head right now where you're like, it would be so cool if I could relive this thing for the first time. That is the feeling that we want to ignite through this series of wonder that a child experiences at their first Christmas. But we all know that that's not the full picture of this season, right? That there are a lot of hard things that we're all walking through, that Jesus didn't come into a world that was whole and healed and full of twinkly Christmas lights. He came into a world that was weary and hurting and tired to bring hope to all of us. Sound familiar? I'm sure this season some of you are experiencing those things. 
some anxiousness. Even when I said Christmas is a week away, it might have like clenched you up a little bit like, oh, some anxiousness, some weariness, maybe some longing, maybe you're waiting for something, some hopelessness. Well, I want to encourage you. If you're not quite in the Christmas spirit this morning, that's okay. Because when Jesus came into the world, all of the characters of the Christmas story were experiencing similar things. And the beauty of the Christmas story is that the same things that Jesus entered into the world to heal on that night, he is giving us hope for today. So we've been looking at these different characters of the Christmas story, taking a second to step into their shoes and experience what they might have been feeling during that time. We looked at the life of Mary, a woman who would not have been shown favor in her society, but was shown favor by God through the birth of our Savior. The shepherds who had humble careers, humble backgrounds, but were awake at the right time to receive this incredible message from the heavenly host. And today, we are going to look at the life of the Magi, three wise men who came from the East to learn more about this new king of the Jews. It is truly a mysterious part of the Christmas story, but I think it is one that we can learn some wonder from this morning. So we're going to turn to the book of Matthew, which is fun. We've only been at the Christmas story in Luke so far. So we're going to go to Matthew. And while the, gift, the story of the Magi starts in chapter 2, we're actually going to go to chapter 1, verse 18, because it's the Christmas story. You can't get enough of it, right? Grant almost read, he read some of it this morning, but I want to just read all of it for us because it's fun and it's festive. Um, so, and if you need a Bible, we have a volunteer in the back right there that can give you one. Anyone, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand if you'd like to look at one this morning. We have a volunteer who can pass one out to you. Um, but I am going to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, which says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these, considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Okay, moving into chapter two. This is where our characters from the story come into play. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. You can like feel the sarcasm. After hearing the king, they went on their way and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Thanks for sitting through the Christmas story, guys. It's always fun, right? Right? Um, So as we dive into this story, the first piece of wonder can actually be found in the mystery of who these wise men were. Who were they? How did they find themselves as pivotal characters in the Christmas story? When we say wise men or magi, what comes to mind? Is it three little kids dressed in robes with crowns on their heads, carrying little treasure boxes to the, the baby Jesus doll in the manger at the Christmas pageant? Or maybe it's three camels with kings riding them and your nativity scene, hanging out with the little sheep and the donkey and the shepherd, right? Those are the images that come to mind for all of us. Well, I have to say, I don't wanna break any hearts here, but most of those images are just from our Christmas traditions, not really accurate biblical depictions of who the Magi probably were or what they probably did. Firstly, there were probably not just three. We say three because of the three gifts, But according to history and tradition, there are probably many more, a whole caravan of magi coming in to find the king of the Jews, probably even up to 12. And where were they from? We're not entirely sure. Matthew just says from the east and in some outdated maybe Christmas songs, we get they're from the Orient. Really, they were probably most likely from Babylon or um, Persia or somewhere around Arabia, Syria or Jordan. But according to most biblical scholars and historians, I'm gonna trust them, they have spent their life dedicated to this, that they were probably from Babylon. That is the most likely place because because of the Babylonian captivity and exile, there would have been Jewish traditions passed through that culture as well. So they would have known some about these different prophecies and things like that. So probably Babylon, but much of this is just speculation. Matthew doesn't give us a ton to go on for who they are. So all we can really do is just speculate. And while it's fun and interesting to learn about some of these things, the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is why is this important to us? Why does this matter for us today? How can the story of these wise men help reignite the wonder and magic and mystery of the first Christmas in our lives? And how can it remind us of the closeness of Jesus and how he came to heal those hard things that we might be walking in this season? This whole story, the Magi, has a lot packed into it, a lot. There are a lot of different directions we could go this morning. If you are a biblical history nerd, I encourage you, read some stuff. There are whole books. You can learn all about how the history ties in and there's all these full circle cool moments and all these prophecies about Jesus. I encourage you, go do that learn, have some fun. But for our purposes this morning, we want to learn about the wonder of the Magi. So that's what we're going to do together. And I think that they have a lot to teach us on the wonder of the Christmas story. So let's go back to verses one and two really quick and just recap them. They say, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem 
saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. So the first thing here that I feel like we can learn from the Magi about wonder is, wonder means living in expectation. Living in expectation. In the Old Testament, we see Magi referred to quite a bit. We see them trying to interpret Pharaoh's dreams before Joseph is able to. We see King Xerxes consult them in the book of Esther. And we see Daniel become part of the Magi. I don't know if you knew this. He even becomes the head wise man of all of Babylon. In Daniel 2, verse 48, it says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So if we, we might not get a lot from Matthew here in chapter two about the wise men, but if we go back to the Old Testament, there's a lot there that we can learn about who these wise men may have been. And I think we can learn it from the life of Daniel. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Daniel, Daniel was an Israelite. He was living in Jerusalem when King Nebuchadnezzar came over from Babylon. Yes, the same Babylon that we think the wise men were probably from. And he took siege of Jerusalem. He captured it. And he told his leaders, he was like, I want you to bring back some Israelite men with you who fit a very specific description that we read in Daniel 1. Young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. Apparently, Daniel fit this prescription. He was a good-looking, knowledgeable dude, okay? And he also had the gift of understanding dreams and visions. So when he was taken back to Babylon with his companions, they were put into the same um, class as the wise men. But Daniel was made head of all of the wise men because he could do something that the other wise men in Babylon couldn't. He could correctly interpret the dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar after all of the other wise men in Babylon had tried and failed. The king was even ready to execute all of the wise men in Babylon. But instead, Daniel stepped in, heard this word from the Lord about the dreams. He was able to interpret them, and then the king put him in charge of all of it. Now, I tell you this because I feel like this is some really cool context, some background that can help us learn more about these wise men in this story today that they came from this great history of interpreting signs and wonders and dreams. They understood when they saw the star, they even call it his star, the king of the Jews' star, rise in the way, it would have been the West for them, rise in the West, what it meant. And we're not 100% sure how they knew this, but I think we can get a little bit more context from this beautiful prayer that we find from Daniel, starting um, in Daniel 2, starting in verse 17. It says this, Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, the matter being that they are all about to get killed by the king um, because no one can interpret the dreams, urging them to ask the God of heavens for mercy concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the Babylonian, Babylon's wise men. So sorry. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of heavens and declared, this is his prayer, it's so beautiful, may the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons, he removes kings and establishes kings, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding, he reveals the deep and hidden things. 
He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my ancestors, because you have given me wisdom and power. And now you have let me know what we have asked of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. Through this prayer, we can see what Daniel believed about the wisdom of God and what these wise men show us that if you are expectant, if you're looking and praying and searching, God has wisdom and understanding that he wants to share with you. He wants to reveal the hidden things to you. He wants to do things like put a star out in the West that lead to the king. Now, we don't know exactly how the Magi received this knowledge, but based on what we read here in Matthew, it seems like they have some understanding of who God is, which might be surprising. But in verse 12, we saw that they received a dream from the Lord not to return to Herod, but to go back to their own land. And that didn't seem unusual to them. They listened to it. They followed it. So there's a chance that they had an understanding of who God was and that all of this wisdom and understanding was coming directly from him. Some scholars even believe that these wise men in particular would have been taught from this school of knowledge directly from Daniel. So they could be wise men disciples of Daniel. How cool would that have been? Um, But either way, we can see that they have this understanding to look for the signs and receive this wisdom from God. We actually see this all throughout the Christmas story in every character. Joseph receives dreams not to divorce Mary and then later to flee to Egypt. Mary receives a message from an angel. The shepherds receive a message from an angel. The wise men see this star and know to follow it to find Jesus. All of these people are expectant and ready to receive a sign, a message, a vision, from the Lord so that they know what to do and they can follow his instruction. I think part of recapturing the wonder of this season for all of us is to be expectant, to be ready, to be awake and wondering, when will God speak to me? How will he show up today? What will he tell me? Just like the wise men, God is ready to put a star up to the sky that says, hey, look over here, follow me this way. I have something incredible to show you about the kingdom of heaven if you will look up and see me. I think this time of year, it's so easy for all of us to just turn inward. We have so much going on. So many things we're trying to carry for ourselves, for our family. We want a magical season for our kids. We want to do everything. We want to go to every party. We want to experience all the fun. We don't want to miss out on anything. But instead, we miss out on the wonder because we forget to look up and see what God is trying to show us, that same magic that happened that first Christmas. And I think what we'll find when we take the step to do this, to look up and experience that wonder that God's trying to reveal to us, is it won't look the way that we thought it would. And we're gonna learn that more in the story of the Magi. So the second thing that I think they can teach us about wonder is that wonder may require a long journey. Last week, Douglas asked all of us to take a second to think of the most exciting thing we've ever experienced and then to tell our neighbor. And I thought this was a really fascinating question because I've experienced a lot of significant things in my lifetime. I've traveled to some cool places. I've had some cool jobs. I've been married. I've had a baby. And all of those things you could say something about, they were life-changing, holy, meaningful, but exciting That seems like a different category all in of itself. So I was trying to figure out what was the most exciting thing that's ever happened. 
And I was brought to this moment in my mind of this time that I was sitting on an airplane, looking down over the city, weeping in public. Yes, crying like ugly tears on a plane in front of a bunch of people. Doesn't sound too exciting, right? But the reason that it was the most exciting moment of my life is I had been waiting to be on that plane, looking at that city for almost two years. Two years of feeling weary and lost and confused. So many things that they were probably feeling that first Christmas before Jesus came. And at so many times I was ready to give up on that dream. And then in a moment, I found myself doing the exact thing that I had been dreaming about and praying for. It just took two years. These wise men did not undergo a fast journey to get to Jesus. We can speculate, but let's say they did come from Babylon. Let's trust the experts, say they came from Babylon. If not, it was still somewhere out east around the same place. Um, I actually have a map here. So this is a possible journey that the wise men would have taken from Babylon to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. 900 miles. This map says there's some nice little notes down there that you probably can't read, but that it could have taken anywhere from 120 to 150 days, depending on the size of the caravan. Parents, you understand that, right? The more people in the caravan, the longer the journey's gonna take, right? Okay, so, but I think that Matthew 2 can actually give us a little bit more context for how long this journey really might have taken. Because what it says is that the star appeared when he was born. It doesn't say that um, the star appeared right when they got there, but when he was born. And as we all know, you can't just jump on your camel and head all the way to Jerusalem. They probably had to pack their snacks. They had to get some stuff together. They had to get the whole caravan going. That would have taken some time. And then they had to trek all the way to Jerusalem have this little conference with King Herod, find out where Jesus actually probably was, and then still go to Bethlehem. That's a really long journey. And then in verse nine, it says, um, after hearing the king, they went on, oh, so sorry. Yes, after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. And then in Matthew 2, 16, we didn't read this one earlier, but further on in Matthew 2, it says, then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. So when the wise men found Jesus, hate to break it to you in your nativity scenes, he was not a baby. He was a child living with his family in a house. According to what Herod says here, granted, it could have taken him a little bit of time to realize he was outwitted by the wise men, but he was looking for children up to about two years old. So the wise men were not at the nativity scene. They showed up to the party maybe up to two years late, but it didn't seem like that was their primary concern. They weren't on a schedule. They weren't in a hurry. They just saw the star and knew that they needed to follow it to experience the king of the Jews. They wanted to worship him. They wanted to meet him. They wanted to be in his presence no matter how long it took them to get there. And what does it say happened in scripture when they got there? They were filled with great joy and they worshiped him. The thing that they had been traveling for 
at least 120 days. Guys, that's four months. Most of us don't even want to travel the two hours to see our family this holiday season, right? Because we know how much of a hassle that's going to be. And once we got there, like, can you imagine? You load up your kids. You're like, okay, guys, we're going to get on the camels. We're going to get in the caravan. And approximately four months to two years, we will experience the joy and wonder of Christmas. No one's going to take their kid on that trip. And we can almost guarantee that no one's going to be filled with joy by the time that they get there. Like, nothing seems like it would be worth it to trek 900 miles on a camel. But the wise men knew that every holy mile of anticipation would be worth it when they got to Jesus. I'm sure many of you are, are waiting on some things in this season for some holy breakthrough that only the Father can bring. I'm sure you're tired. I'm sure you're weary. I'm sure maybe some of you even feel a little bit hopeless. But I have some good news for you this morning. If you're on mile 700 in this journey that everyone told you would be so wonderful and self-fulfilling and transformative isn't seeming so great anymore, if you keep going at mile 900, the Savior of the world is there. And his promises over you, over the things that you have been dreaming about, are greater than you could have ever imagined for yourself. And there is so much wonder in that. So in the waiting, I want to invite each of you back into the wonder, into that holy anticipation of whatever Jesus has for you at mile 900. Imagine them together in the caravan. Do you think that they were talking about it, anticipating it? What kind of questions do you think that they were asking each other? What will he be like? What will it be like when we get there? Do you think he'll like the gifts that we brought him? What will we get to experience when we're in his presence? Imagine declaring some of those questions of wonder and anticipation over your waiting this morning. What will happen to me when I get to the end of this season? What kind of miracle is the Father preparing for me? And how will it change everything in my life and be better than I could have ever imagined? 1 Corinthians 2.9 says it like this, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. And the incredible thing about waiting on the Lord, like I've said, and what the, what the Magi experienced, what they learned so well, is that wonder will shatter your expectations. So in the Old Testament, the Magi were never far from a king. Like I said, they were around pharaohs, they were around King Xerxes, they were around King Nebuchadnezzar. So when the wise men came in search of Jesus, they went first to the palace. They went to where the king was. They went to King Herod and they were like, hey, where's the king of the Jews? We came here to worship him. And they're like, oh, he's not here. Let's figure out where he probably is for you. So they go and get all these scribes and they look it up and, they're, and they figure out this. They find out in, ver, in chapter two, verse two, this is what it says. Where is he who has been born, born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. Now remember, before Jesus came and truly revealed himself to us, Everyone thought that he was going to come as this triumphant king riding in, ready to conquer all of the lands back for Jerusalem. And King Herod was actually a king appointed by Rome. 
He wasn't Jerusalem's king. He wasn't like their favorite guy. So when he heard that the king of the Jews, the promised one, the one that was going to come and conquer all other kings might be somewhere nearby, he freaked out. He was highly concerned. And the Magi were clearly looking for that kind of king, which is why they showed up at the palace. And all of, and says, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So here in verse five, we see Jesus was not in a palace. He was in the least likely place in all of Judah, because let's be honest, this prophecy here is kind of like those like backhanded compliments we all get around the holidays from certain relatives where they're like, oh, you're here, finally. <laughs> or, oh, thank you so much for inviting us to your home. It's so nice and cozy and lived in. Yeah, you all know the ones I'm talking about, the ones maybe certain aunts or grandparents might say to you. That's what this prophecy is like. It's like, don't worry, Bethlehem. You would have been the lowest, but this king is gonna be born there, so it's gonna knock you up a few notches. Like, everyone knew Bethlehem was the worst until maybe this king is born there. So the Magi would have probably been really surprised. Like, oh, okay, well, he's not here, but Bethlehem, are you sure? Because like, we all know that's the lowest place in the whole land. And it seems like for a second, they even reconsider going to find him there because it seems so unlikely. In verse seven, it says, then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Wink, wink, right? Okay, so after hearing the king, they went, and then it says, after hearing the king, they went on their way. So it's almost like they were reconsidering, and then the king pulled them aside and was like, hey, no, Bethlehem seems a little unlikely for a king, but I really need y'all to go there for me, so please do. And they're like, okay, I guess we will, just for you. Um, and then continuing in verse nine, it says, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So again, these wise men expecting a king at a palace, not finding him, learning that he might be in Bethlehem, and then doubting that he would be in Bethlehem, but going anyway, experience something that I would say is miraculous. Like if this doesn't just incite wonder for you, I don't know what will. It's like they decide to continue going and then verse nine says, and there it was, the star. They reconsider, they decided to go and it just appeared again. How incredible is that? The Lord keeps just popping this star up whenever they need it so it will lead them on the path to Jesus. That is beautiful. And so they get to the house, to the place where they never thought a king would be to the place where a child is with his mother in the lowest part of the land. And you can tell from their response that he actually was everything that they thought he would be because they immediately bow down and worship him. This child, this child in this unexpected place was better than any king that they could have ever found in any palace in all of the land. And that is what Jesus wants to do in our lives this season. 
He wants to take all of our expectations for the things that we're hoping for and praying for and dreaming for, and he wants to put wonder back in them by not just giving us the miracle that we need, but by shattering all of our wildest expectations about it and giving us something even better. Now, it might feel humble in origin, might feel less than in the eyes of the world. It might look like a manger instead of a throne, but it is going to be the thing that we all need to transform our lives and the lives of those around us. And that is what Jesus did in this season. He came in the most unexpected way. He came as a child to shatter the way that we think about the Christmas season. And so maybe the truth, the answer to all of this, the way that we get wonder back into our lives is to follow Jesus's example and bring and take on the mindset of a child experiencing her first Christmas. The band can go ahead and come back up. Just like the childlike wonder of this season, the truly awe-inspiring nature of the Christmas story came to me this week in a conversation with my daughter. Remember, she's almost three, and my mom got her this cute little nativity house this Christmas. Isn't it cute? It kind of looks more like a house than a manger, like, or than the, you know, the stable. Maybe it is the house that the wise men went and visited. And inside of it, there's this cute little Joseph. Yeah, isn't he cute? And Mary. Mm-hmm. And baby Jesus. How sweet is that? The whole family in this little doll form. So cute. So my daughter was playing with them and holding them and holding baby Jesus. And she said, I want to go see baby Jesus. And I said, okay, where do you want to go? And she said, to his house. And I couldn't help but think of the wise men who traveled 900 miles to get to the house of Jesus and find him and worship him and be with him. But in all the childlike joy and wonder of Christmas, I got to tell her, sweet girl, you don't have to go to his house to find him. He's in your heart. And she said, mom, is he in your heart too? And I said, yes, he is. And that is the true wonder of the Christmas season this year, that God, that as we journey and dream and long and hope and travel long distances to be with Jesus, that the name Emmanuel, God with us, is real. He's here. He came to earth to be with us, to humble beginnings so that he could experience the weariness and the hardships of this world to relate to us. And then he died for us so that his holy presence would be with us always, walking with us so that we could experience constant joy and love and hope and peace and wonder in our lives. That is the beauty and wonder of this Christmas season, is that name, Emmanuel, God with us. I'm gonna pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for this Christmas season. Thank you that your name over this season is Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that you came to this earth to relate to us, to be with us, that you draw us into holy wonder and anticipation and that you invite us on a journey with you where you will shatter all of our expectations of what we are hoping for and dreaming about, Lord. I pray that over this season that you would be close to each of us and our families as we praise you and worship you and worship the things that you have done in this Christmas season for us. Amen. So now we're gonna move into a time of response.
their communion stations around the room. Our prayer team is here. They would love to pray for you. And as we move into this time of response, I just want you to reflect on this season, on the different things that you've been walking through, the things that you're carrying, that heaviness, the things that are making you weary, the things that might be burdening you, the things that you're waiting for. And I want you to declare the wonder of Jesus over these things. I want you to sit in holy expectation and wonder and ask the Lord those questions. Father, what are you gonna do in this season? What do you want to reveal to me in this season? What do you want to show me? How do you want to shatter all of my expectations of what I think that you are going to do? What good news do you have to declare over me and my family this season? And as you take the bread and drink the cup, I want you to think about the fact that Jesus came to this earth so that he could relate deeply to you and what you're walking through. And then he died for each of us so that his Emmanuel presence could be with you always. Amen.